0: okay so we have our streaming um recording started so i want to welcome Ananda Mayi, who is our 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 sage for today that will be doing <laughs> our our series of the beauty and the messiness of the sadhaka's journey i want to welcome the devotees who are on who are have come on zoom it's always lovely to have a few faces and a few names to connect with and know that you're here with us and that gives us the support we need and um yeah so we have been doing this series this is i don't i've lost track of how many we've done so far but um I, i should probably figure that out and tell everybody and um we're gonna continue to be talking about the Sadhguru's journey um, and comparing it somewhat loosely to Joseph Campbell's um, hero's journey. And the reason that we're using this template is to really, um, to show how um, the Sadhguru's journey is, um, whatever happens in our journey, the messiness of it is all for, empowerment and growth, and it's all a necessary part of becoming the spiritual heroes that we're all meant to become. And so I'm going to start off reading Anandamayi's short bio. <laughs> I love it. You know, I love um and we have something very succinct. Um, Anandamayi is an initiated disciple of Swami Tripurari. Um, She lived for five years as a monastic at Odarya and Maruban ashrams, where she served as a pujari and a cook. She now lives in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains near the former Sagrahi ashram. She spends her time teaching poetry classes and caring for Swami Tripawari's Chota Gora Nitai deities. So welcome, and I'm really excited to do this interview. Um, Amanda, my and I have been friends for some years, and and I know how deeply thoughtful she is, and and her, and I I know what she that she's going to offer us a lot of depth and and beauty in this interview. So no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's
1: okay it's talking to an old friend so (laughs) (laughs) that's what we want it to be
0: it's like relaxed and uh, you know not to be um so um so we'll start off and and ask the first question would be um what was it that called you away from um the ordinary life and called you to your spiritual direction
1: yeah, um, you know, in in a single word, I would say that um, it was suffering. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this question in the last few days, you know, kind of trying to get ready for this interview. And, um, you know, I wanna say that, uh, you know, it's, it's not, uh, perhaps in the way that you might think about um, suffering being what might um, call someone to spiritual life. It it wasn't for me that I was trying to get away from suffering or that I was even seeking the answer to the problem of suffering. You know, why, why do we suffer? Um, It was more that the suffering itself really acted as a vehicle that, um, that opened the doors um, to a spiritual life. Um, and I, you know, I was thinking about, uh, you know, kind of how to explain this um, to someone. I, I think that maybe we all have experienced this in some way, um, but um, how, how to kind of, you know, to talk about it. And a, a couple of images um, came to mind. The first, um, is uh, an image from um, from alchemy. Um, I don't know if uh, everyone you know, knows what alchemy is, but it's an, it's an old kind of um, magical art uh, where, where um, elements are taken and, and generally the idea is um, one, one thing that uh, alchemists try to do is to make gold. And so I was thinking about how when we experience trauma Um, which is part of my story, I experienced um, trauma very early in life. Um, I was sexually abused uh, as a child. And I I won't, you know, talk about that too much here. But it's part of my story, and an an important part in this way. Um, And, uh, you know, for me, and I think for a lot of people who experience trauma, it kind of breaks a person down into their elements. You know, what we what we thought we knew about the world and about ourselves um, kind of comes apart and, and we're left with kind of these raw elements. But what it also does is it creates this kind of alchemical vessel, um, if you will, where these elements can be put back together in a new way. And so we have this, this chance to kind of make gold, if you will. Um, and, and that's really been my experience kind of time and again in my life um, that uh, these traumas that I've experienced have have, have opened uh, the doorways for, for this to happen. Um, the other image I was thinking of is um, that in the forest, um, you know, uh, there, there are frequently fires. Now, of course, they know right now. You know, this is uh, something that's been, been uh, unsettling in our world. But, but uh, in general, it's it's a natural process that happens. Um, you know, there's a forest fire, and those ashes uh, nurture the soil. They nourish the soil. Um, and, and create the conditions for new growth. And, and I think this happens for all of us too. We experience traumas. Um, they can be big or, or little um, that kind of, again, um, break us down into our elements and create the conditions that we need for growth and for change. Um, so like I said, this happened for me you know, very early in my life. Um, and uh, what I experienced was that, that as young as I can remember, um, this, this opened. Um, well, it, it caused me to, to ask questions uh, very young. As young as I can remember, I, I was asking questions about the nature of reality. Um, I was uh, engaged in prayer, um, you know. Uh, I I remember almost praying constantly as a child, um, and in a way that, uh, is sort of, uh, you know, um, well, it's interesting to me now to look back on, like, for example, um, I wasn't really praying to, to ask for things. Um, it was like, I'd hear a funny joke and I would offer that to God in my mind or, you know, cause I wanted God to, to hear the joke too, you know, <laughs> or, um, I'd see something very beautiful and I would, I would, you know, want to share that, um, you know, in a prayer. So, you know, it was interesting, even though I was going through things that were very difficult, um, it wasn't it wasn't that I was praying to escape those things. It was that um, you know the, this, the spiritual relationship itself that I was developing was kind of a um, um, a a, a balm, if you will, to you know to to help me through those things and to give me perspective. Um, so well, anyway. oh,
0: wow. that's no, that's so beautiful, and I love your your two images there, and it reminds me of another image that Pamanava Swami just shared recently in a class, I think in Bulgaria, about some, the art of pottery, and I guess it was in Japan, when a pottery breaks, and then they put gold to put the pieces back together, And the more, so the more that something gets broken, the more it becomes gold. Pretty soon your whole piece of pottery is just gold. And so it really reminded me of that image also. And so these images are so positive. They're so affirming that being broken down to our elements, as you say, is really a, um, it's it's life giving. It's it's new growth, and it's 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 all about you know becoming the best version of ourselves. So that's very very um, helpful. Thank you. So yeah, you kind of entered into that next question of you know what things in your in your childhood really kind of gave you clues or hints about your. Your direction. Now I know that there was a period of time in your life where you, you know, you went to college, you went to, you did things very much according to the script, you know, and so what were some, some other things maybe that gave you the indication that you were not bound for that kind of ordinary existence? Yeah, um,
1: yeah, well, I started talking, you know, a little bit about that, as you said, um, but, uh, you know, there, there were quite a number of things in my childhood that um, were kind of clues. And when, you know, when I sort of reawakened to spiritual life in my kind of early 20s, um, I, I looked back on those clues and, and it kind of everything made sense, you know, so um a couple of things that came to mind were, um, you know, I, I wanted to be a nun from the time I was, I could remember. Um, that was like, you know, if if you would have asked me as a child, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, <laughs> I want to be a nun. <laughs> um, and you know, I think that 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 came out of this kind of um, life full of prayer and and you know worship that that was really what I thought of as, as really my life, you know, as a child, um, you know, much more than, than the kind of external events that were going on. Um, I also started writing spiritual poetry. Um, again, I, from the time I was like four or five, I have these memories of, of sitting and writing these poems and, um, you know, uh, things that I I don't think that that a lot of children think about at that age like I, I remember um, sitting and writing one about how I was in a Christian family at the time so that was my you know kind of frame of reference for for all of this um, about how the cross um, in Christianity was a quiet symbol of sacrifice this was, mm-hmm. you know, I was four or five years old at this point so you know, I kind of had this, you know, spiritual inclination from the time I was really, really little. Um, but the one memory that really stands out the most when I think about this is that, um, again, this was I was maybe four or five years old. I was sitting and just playing with with a toy, as, as you know, kids do at that age, and um, I. I, you know, several times in my life have had, um, this kind of guiding voice, you know, that will, you know, give me some instructions about, you know, where I'm, where I'm to go in my spiritual life. And, um, you know, there've been, there've been several times in my life where that voice has been very, um powerful you know where it's really left a mark and this was one point I was you know again I was four or five years old and I just heard within myself that um, I would not be a Christian um, but that I should study Christianity to learn about about God but that my path would come to me in time and I I remembered that through my whole childhood and then you know when I was in my early 20s and I, I met the devotees um you know that memory was really powerful for me because everything started to make sense I you know in my teenage years I really again you know I, I did um really try to study Christianity I studied the Bible you know um, quite a lot. And um, I just could never quite commit to, to the path. And, and that really kind of bothered me, but I had this memory of, you know, this kind of guiding voice, you know, telling me, assuring me that, you know, I would find my path and that, you know, this wasn't it, but, you know, this would help me along the way and so i'm really grateful for that it's really you know helped to make things clear for me but um you know i certainly i think i understood at an early age that um you know that that i was meant to be on a spiritual path in in, in one way or another
0: oh, very, very <laughs> yeah very clear yeah very clear much more clear than than i think most people get and Yeah, and I wonder, um, did you have much resistance when you decided to embark on this pathway? Did you feel that there were forces that were trying to hold you back and and what were they?
1: Sure, yeah, um, definitely I had resistance. Um, You know, I think that the main um, kind of struggle I had at the very beginning, was um you know I think that 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 we all have these kind of um like biological senses in us like we don't want to be separate from the group um, mm-hmm. as humans uh you know we we don't um, you know we we don't we don't want to be outside of society because that the you know there's a sense of of not being safe in that, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I think it's right in there with things like fear of death and things like that. It's a very powerful um, fear that that really is kind of hardwired um, in us as humans. And this was really a surprise for me that when I started to turn in this way, um, you know, I encountered the devotees and um, I started to, to think about taking up the practice um, this fear was really strong for me. You know what? What will people think? Um, you know, will will my parents accept me? Will my partner accept me? Um, I even remember, you know, one of the first uh, kind of you know th- things. Uh, you know, after I met the devotees, as I, I sat down with my partner and I said, um, "Well, what what will you do if I'm chanting in the house?" you know, and he, um, he, he was, he said, oh, well, I'm not sure, you know, <laughs> I don't know how that would be. Um, and, and so he did have a sense, you know, that, that this could really radically um, change, you know, my, my whole support structure. Mm. Um, and then, um, you know, a little bit further along in, in the journey, which, you know, we can backtrack here, I'm, I'm sure, but, um I eventually joined the ashram um I lived at Odaria and one of um in the first months there I shaved my head um and this was you know uh my guru Maharaj um had uh had asked me to and and you know everyone else there shaved their heads so um and I was so shocked after I had done that that um I was, I, there was this kind of like visceral fear of, you know, I was raised as a, a, a female, you know, in a female body in a patriarchal culture where, you know, things like uh, having, you know, beautiful hair and having, you know, wearing dresses and makeup and all of those things, actually, you know, can, can create a sense of safety for women. And, and I don't, I don't think that, again, I won't get <laughs> too much into this, but um, it's unfortunate that it's that way. Um, I wish that it weren't that way. And I didn't even realize that, that these kinds of um, perceptions were, were with, were, were in me. And so to give that up, you know, to give up this sense of, of belonging uh, in this culture um, was really scary, was really scary for me. And, you know, I think a lot of what we do um, in an ego-effacing spiritual path really does kind of, you know, put us so that we're swimming upstream, you know, we're, we're, we're swimming against, um, you know, there's all the other fish are swimming down this way and we're swimming, we're swimming the opposite way you know and so you know we leave the safety of the group and we you know and it's also going to be a struggle um and so yeah you know it, it was it was quite hard at first to to give those things up um
0: yeah, but, some, yeah really wonderfully articulated um and i think <clears throat> Even, you know, my own feelings about what you're I mean, it just really echoed inside of me. Yeah, the feeling of leaving, you know, the group and the fear of um, not being, you know, being in that that safety of the of our group and, and and going outside of that. So what what allowed you or helped you persevere that you didn't turn around like a lot of people come? I mean, I lived in an ashram for many years. i I saw so many people come for a few weeks, a few months, and then they, that that pull back into the society was just so intense that they couldn't ignore it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, really, it was the practice itself that, that allowed me to stay. Um, you know, I think uh, one thing I did early on was... Um, I really intentionally just closed those doors. I I really withdrew into myself and I tried to be around the devotees. Um, And I just, you know, I just looked at it as an an experiment, you know, let's just see how this feels. Let's see what comes out of this. But I did really shut off. other connections that i thought might influence me because i i really wanted to be able to hear my own voice um and so and and, and i i did you know i kind of quieted everything else down so that i could hear my own voice and and so that i could hear um krishna or you know however krishna was speaking um, through me whether that was through other devotees or you know some sort of internal guidance um You know, I I really tried to quiet everything, but, but in the end, you know, it it really is just, um, that the practice itself, um, maintains us. I mean, there's everything that we need is, is, is in our practice, um, and, and and is in Krishna, you know, so really, I mean, we talk about, you know, thinking about Krishna as our maintainer, as, as a part of, um, surrender as a part of Sharanagati, but, um, you know, it's simple in a way, you know, uh, you know, Krishna is our maintainer, and, and the form that Krishna has come in is, is the maha mantra, you know, it's our chanting, um, our kirtan, our deity worship um, at, at this point in our, at least in, in my sadhana, and I, and I found that to be more than enough, I mean, it's, you know, if any time I think, you know, there's something that's too much you know as soon as I go back to that you know I go back to 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 chanting I go back to to a kirtan or to the deity worship you know I find like everything I need is there you know to to get to get beyond whatever whatever obstacle it is so um yeah I guess I I as much as you know like looking back on it there was a struggle, of course, like, you know, it was, it was, you know, very much not easy, you know, it's, the answer to that was really always very simple, you know, um, so it's kind of interesting, you know, to- yeah, yeah, well,
0: that's, that. that's, like, you know, in the hero's journey, they get special mantras and potions, and, and, you know, swords and all yeah. kinds of things to be able to fight the obstacles and for us we get the ma mantra and we get sadhu sangha that's our um those are our weapons and, and that's what if we take to them then we have this amazing empowerment to push through what seems insurmountable i mean i really at the beginning was i i didn't know how i would fight against this current that you're talking about like we're going upstream they're going downstream and it was it felt very much like a a losing battle and i was going to drown in this in this whole process so i really appreciate that so much yeah so why don't we turn to then what happens that when we come to the path and we actually make that commitment and, um, and say, OK, I'm here for better or for worse. I'm sticking to this path. This is, you know, and, and that's kind of like our real initiation, is when we make that heart commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when, yeah, we get tested. And the struggles come in all kinds of different internally and externally. And that's the messiness of this, this journey. So um, I'd love to hear you talk about what some of your messiness has been.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, well, I mean, there's there's been considerable messiness. Um, and as, I, as I said, you know, at the, at the beginning, though, um, you know, and this isn't to say that there weren't dark, times in all of this for me there were certainly you know there were certainly really difficult times when you know I I looked at um you know some of the the struggles I was having and um you know I think um the fear for me was wasn't that um you know wasn't that that Krishna doesn't exist or that you know that God doesn't exist or whatever it was that um, that, that Krishna is out there and he just doesn't care, you know, he just doesn't care about me, you know, and like why am I, you know, why am I struggling in this way? So there, I mean, there were dark moments where I really, I wasn't able to, to see that connection. Um, but, but I, I do want to say, you know, looking back on it, you know, with perspective, um, I, there's not a single one of those struggles that i'm not grateful for because again i i you know i really do um see krishna's wisdom in the end that um you know that we need these struggles and we need the tests um in order to um in order to come closer to krishna um you know and and in order to 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 see ourselves um you know, what, what we want, you know, I mean, it's, it's an exercise of our, of our will um, to practice bhakti. And I mean, it really is one of the most incredible things about being a human. And so we, we have this free will. And, um, you know, we can make the choice in the face of, of difficulties, um, or in the face of great happiness um, in the world, uh, also you know not easy when when things seem to be going so well um to to enter into spiritual life um and we can we could have a long conversation about which is better um you know which is more conducive for spiritual life but um you know it's not it's not easy to choose um to choose bhakti but but as we do we we are in difficult situations and and we choose bhakti again and again that that's strengthening that um that that will to choose so that the next time you know something comes to us that we choose that again because we saw in the past you know that, that when i chose um you know to turn to bhakti in in this situation that that the results were so overwhelmingly positive that that you know that's what i'll do again and 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 lifetime after lifetime so um you know we we really do need the tests um but yeah i think um early on when i was uh at the ashram um I uh, I was diagnosed with Addison's disease, which is an autoimmune disease. I was having lots of kind of like, um, you know, strange health problems that, you know, couldn't figure out and, and they're still not figured out. Um, so anybody who has uh, these kinds of health issues might know, you know, it's very hard to, to figure out what's going on and get a diagnosis, but anyway. Um, my my body wasn't cooperating, basically, you know, this was, again, I mean, this is what I had wanted since I could remember, you know, since I was, like, five years old, I was sitting around dreaming about, you know, living as a, a monastic, and finally, you know, I had found my path, you know, everything had become clear, and I was there, I was, you know, living in this, you know, beautiful uh, place, I was, Gornitized Pujari, you know, all day I was cooking for the deities and worshiping the deities and my body just started breaking down. Um, and, uh, it was very frustrating and, um, heartbreaking, um, you know, and just, uh, yeah, just very, very, very hard. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, I struggled really my whole life with um, anxiety and depression. Um, and, um, you know, I'd had uh, quite a you know a number of, of spiritual experiences at that point, especially you know, after meeting the devotees and in this kind of interim between going to the ashram where I thought, oh, this is over, you know, this is, I'm not going to struggle with this anymore um and and then i started struggling with with it again um but um you know one memory that that's really powerful for me was the first time i was i was dealing with depression at the ashram and um you know i was laying in my bed i was just um you know anybody who's who's been through depression probably knows this feeling you know you're like curled up you feel like you just want to go nowhere but a black hole you know um it's just it's very dark feeling and i was chanting i was chanting the maha mantra and simultaneously while i was feeling this this you know horrible feeling of depression i felt this just intense joy and you know bliss from the from the mantra um and i i remember just thinking like you know wow like i mean this is what this is teaching me this is what this depression is here to teach me in this lifetime that i'm not my body i'm not my mind and that you know there is no my sadhana isn't dependent on a place it's not dependent on a body it's not dependent on a mind that you know i i'm able to practice even while at the same time having this experience of depression that that you know it, it was separate that my experience as a devotee um the, my experience of myself was was separate from this experience I was having in my body um, and and the same you know I had the same experience with some of you know the physical um, struggles I had you know going through experiences of pain and neuropathy and things like that that you know I could have that experience which was you know unsettling um, and also at the very same time have you know Experience of of just total joy and bliss from from um, a kirtan or from chanting the mantra or worshiping the deities. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean that's really what what got me um, through it. And I mean you know it's still a struggle for me. And, and you know it's it's possible it could still it could be a struggle. Through this whole lifetime, I don't know. You know, uh, we still don't really have good answers. You know, as to why, um, you know, people people have depression or anxiety or you know. So, you know, it's it's possible, but I I do know that um, you know, it, it doesn't have to stand in the way of of practicing bhakti.
0: Um, That's really powerful. That's. <clears throat> Yeah, because so often, I I you know seen and heard devotees actually stop their practices when they're really in you know in either physical or or emotional pain, and thinking that that's going to you know somehow they're going to get through it easier if they are not trying to practice because the practice. But mm-hmm. such a a really powerful testimony to. Exactly the opposite of sticking to your practice and and getting that transcendent experience and um, yeah that's that's you're very very fortunate to have had that experience um, yeah. and I can can see why that's carried you through yeah yeah, yeah. so any other like str- I mean mind and body um challenges I think are there for all the devotees and um so that's the internal more the internal kind of challenges what about some are they were there external things that were challenging being um yeah a monk in the in, or a woman monk in, in the ashram
1: yeah sure um, yeah you know I think um you know, I was thinking about this as well. Um, you know, I definitely um, struggled to fit in at the ashram. I think I've I've struggled to fit in pretty much everywhere in my life. I've been, um, you know, a little bit different, um, and I was very different in a in a way in that context at Odaria, because I was the only um, the only person in a female body living there for for some time. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, it was hard for me, I think, um, you know, in some ways, going back to what we were talking about earlier, that that fear of, of being apart from the group. So you kind of think, okay, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the group I've known, you know, I'm leaving perhaps my family, my friends, um, may, maybe, you know, um, depending on how you know, it was someone's situation. But for me, that, that was the case to some, to some extent. Um, you know, my family really, you know, wasn't on board uh, at first. And uh, some of my closest friends really, you know, fell away um, at this time. So I, I really was kind of looking to the monastic community to kind of fill that role and then to feel kind of not accepted Uh, you know fully in that community was um was really hard and I understood in part you know I couldn't quite be part of the group in the way that that the the men had formed a group um you know just because of of what we're trying to do as monastics now ideally right if we were all you know um totally you know um at the end of our spiritual uh journey and you know um you know had didn't have any um kind of bodily desires anymore or anything like that we could all just live you know uh very peacefully as one unit and you know with no problems you know but you know that's that's not the reality you know we're, we're sadikas um you know we're we're still uh you know, working through a lot of those, um, you know, bodily designations and, um, you know, ego struggles and things like that. So, um, you know, it made sense that I wasn't really able to be kind of absorbed in the group in the way that I would have, would have liked to, but that was, it was really hard for me. Um, and I really struggled with that. And, um, you know, I think that, um, again it was the practice that really um got me through and you know what's what's interesting um again there's there's always it seems like to me you know in all of these struggles there there really there really was a lesson you know there really was something that I I needed to learn Mm. um and for me you know because I wasn't able to 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 get out of the group what I what I wanted out of it um, socially, which, you know, may or may not have been good for my practice. Um, I, I was sort of forced to see people more spiritually, um, you know, when I was feeling rejected, you know, in some sense in, in some, you know, in some contexts. You know, to to look and, and see this person as a, as a sadhaka, see them as a spiritual, you know, uh, as a spiritual being. Um, and um, you know, I think that that it it helped me really to develop um, to develop that sensibility and to to kind of, you know, um, also to to not. <laughs> to, to To try not to look at people in terms of you know what do I need from them you know oh I need I need this you know social relationship to feel secure to feel you know um you know uh, to to not be afraid in 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 these ways um but but how can I serve them you know as a as a sadhika um and so um in In some way it it kind of forced me to to think more in in those ways Um, and this isn't to say I mean I had you know you know wonderful relationships with people too at the at the ashram and you know I you know grateful for you know the ways in which you know others extended themselves and 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 things like that and so this isn't you know an overarching you know Um, but, uh, you know, but it it was, it was, it was a struggle for me there. Sure.
0: Sure. I wonder one thing that you had kind of started off with, um, was how your trauma had played a role, a, a big role in kind of bringing about, um, the suffering that was actually something that helped you to find Krishna found God in that. Um, So did that, you know, because trauma is such a a deeply um, you know, deeply rooted experience. Um, did you find that it came up after you, you know, like you had said, with the depression and the anxiety, you came and thought, well, that's all in the past now. I won't have to experience that. So I wonder if if your your experience of the trauma that you went through was also something that you thought would be flushed, and you wouldn't have to deal with. And 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 if not, how how did that play out in in your experience in the ashram? Or
1: yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a good question. Um, yeah, well. Um, I guess there's a, there's a couple things coming to mind. Um, the first, I guess, to to backtrack um, quite a bit, I guess, would be that. Um, so when I was in my early twenties, and I was, um, you know, as you mentioned, I, you know, between my childhood and then, you know, my my teenage years, I'd kind of gone through. Um, Really a time I, I considered myself kind of agnostic um for a while. Um sometimes I would call myself an atheist, you know, while I was still like praying and sneaking into churches and things like that. But um, I guess I went through a time where I was like very interested in philosophy. Um, and it was very much, you know, I was actually reading a lot about religion, but but from really a philosophical um perspective. So it was really, you know, a lot of those kind of more mystical, so to speak, doors kind of closed for a while. Um, and I was, I was much more in my head. I was much more kind of an intellectual, um, you know, period in my life. And it was a trauma that, that kind of reopened those doors from my childhood. Um, and I won't go into that too much, but there was a death in my family that was very much connected to the earlier trauma. And it, it, it really, it opened, um, all of that back up again. And, um, I became, um, interested again in, in mysticism, in um, monasticism. I started like, you know, reading everything I could get my hands on about, um, both of those things and about um, Eastern religions and, and things like that. And um, it was pretty soon after that, that I met the devotees. Um, so, um, you know, again, it was, you know, <laughs> you know, these traumas time and again, that kind of marked these significant shifts towards, um, you know, spiritual life and in, in my, journey um and um that particular time in in it in that processing in the processing of that trauma I I was I I was thinking a lot about about the purpose of my life you know what what you know what am what am I supposed to be doing here and the answer that kept coming to me very strongly was that um, that the primary purpose of life is, is to learn to love and not in the sense of like family love or, you know, friendship, you know, on this, although that can be part of it and that can be a practice. Um, um, but, but, um, kind of the essence of, of loving that, that, that was the primary thing to explore. And it was really like right after that, that I met, Um, the devotees Mm. Um, and I had made a a move in response to that kind of uh, knowledge I moved from New York to Chicago and ended up living like down the road from from some devotees Um, so it all really felt very much like arranged you know at that point Um, but then I guess fast forward a little bit um i had met the devotees um and i had a very powerful um meditative experience um and uh it was while chanting uh the maha mantra and um it's a very it's that experience to me is this very it's the sacred um and I, I, I really, I, it's an experience that I don't talk about. I've, I've talked about it with my Guru Maharaj, but um, because I think of it like a, like a candle, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a little flame that's lit in me that I don't, I don't want to blow out with my, with my ego, because I know if I talk about it, that there's a, a possibility of it coming from, a, from a place of, mm-hmm. of ego. And so, you know, I, I don't want to Um, you know, I don't want to talk too much about that here, but it was, it was a powerful experience for me. And after that experience, one of the first kind of like waves that washed over me was the suffering is done. It's over. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I literally, I mean, the words that, that came over me were it's finished it's, it's done. And I really felt that. And I I experienced that for like months after that, you know, just, I mean, really, truly, I mean, the anxiety, the depression, the um, post-traumatic stress, they were gone um, just completely. And I mean, anyone who has dealt with these things knows how uh, you know, what a weight that is and, you know, what a what a challenge it is to, to try to get through these things on the physical, mental level that to have all of that just go away um, after a meditative experience was just a very profound experience for me. Um, and so I did think, I did think that it was over. Um, and so I was, I was quite, Quite surprised um, when um, when it came back, um, you know, when the depression and anxiety came back, and when um, you know experiences um, that I had after that that maybe mimicked in some way the traumatic experiences. There was some element that was similar, and it brought it up um that that i was struggling with that again um at the ashram and um yeah um again i mean it you know I, i'm going to sound like a broken record i suppose but i mean it really was just um just the practice that that got me through i you know <laughs> i guess i don't i don't have much of an answer other than that um, mm-hmm. you know i was um, you know, I mean, I, I had, um, I had, you know, a lot of, a lot of episodes of, of post-traumatic stress, you know, when I was, when I was living at the ashram. And again, I mean, I, I had experiences where I was in the midst of that, um, which is, you know, a very painful, difficult place to be. And also just, um, you know, in total bliss, dressing the deities or you know cooking for Maharaj, or you know whatever it might be um and that that those things could be happening at the same time um and uh you know again it, it just it really brought home the lesson for me that um yeah i'm i'm not this body well again i don't you know the the, we, we have to try to take care of the body and the mind. I definitely, I, I I feel kind of, um, responsible to say that, you know, I mean, I've, I'm talking about all of these issues and, and talking about how, you know, chanting has, has helped, you know, has helped me to have perspective on them. Um, you know, I've also, you know, had a lot of help, you know, I've had a lot of therapy. I've done a lot of work on my own and it's, it's really important if anyone is, listening here, you know, to, to take care of your body and take care of your mind, um, you know, in uh, on those levels to, you know, you, you have to address those issues on that level as well. But, um, you know, the spiritual practice can give us perspective on those issues so that we understand that that's not who we are. At the end of the day, that's not, you know, that's, that's not the essence of our, of ourselves. Um, and, um, you know, the, the other thing it's, it's really taught me, which has been a powerful lesson is, um, not to make assumptions about what's going on inside of any other person or any other practitioner that, you know, they might seem to be, um, and they, and they might be, you know, very much struggling with, whatever, um, you know, issue it is, uh, physical, mental, um, you know, uh, environmental, whatever, um, and, and they might be having, you know, profound internal experiences at the same time. And so, you know, not to, not to think, oh, well, they're not practicing because they don't look joyful all the time or something like that. You know, these are, these are deep, internal experiences so um you know it's helped me to see that you know the ways in which spiritual life plays out are really nuanced and that and that these things can be you know can be really gifts from Krishna you know that that were you know um you know these obstacles can actually be um you know good for us and they can be intended for us you know in in some sense so uh, yeah. Just not to judge, you know. Not to judge what anyone else is is going through as
0: well. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, really. And I'm so glad that you're reiterating that point over and over because it's yeah, you know, it's so, it's it's so critical and so foundational to our progress. Um, if we don't, if we're not able to see the world like like it's all being everything is really being orchestrated for our highest good then it's going to be hard to stay on the path and we will become um discouraged and and if we don't really have that 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 deep conviction of that so so thank you that you've been you know able to to do that for many years and stick to your practices and stick to the path and so um I would like to ask you, um, just because I'm looking at time, um, so um, what would you say are some of the most profound changes that you've seen in yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that the most profound change I've seen um, is really the ability to experience joy. Mm -hmm. Um, And... And the perception—it's funny. I, th- I think we've we've kind of already gotten there and are in in yeah. talking it through. But um, the perception that um, that that reality itself is beautiful and good at the end of the day, um, and and that it it and that it, it is that it is beautiful. It is good. It's um, friendly, as we like to say. Um, Including suffering, including trauma, um, you know, including it's not it's not good to spite those things. Um, it's 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 good. Um, it's it's good as a, as a whole, and and you know, in in everything that that it that it is. Um, and you know, I think it's it's those experiences that I've had of of, of experiencing, you know, um, really dark moments alongside this sense of joy that that that's helped me to be able to see that clearly that um and and it really has um become to me like a river that just flows through everything you know the the sense of um the joy of of just existence of of reality and and ultimately of course of um our existence, related to Krishna, which which is our existence really, um, is uh, is a constant. That it it's uh, again, I, I I imagine it like like a river that's just flowing through, you know, um, all of these experiences that, that we that we have the ability to to always go and sit beside, you know, like the, the, that's always within us, and that no matter what is happening. You know we can walk down to that river and sit and and hear it and see it and 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 know that that ultimately is the truth that's what's eternal you know that's what's going to go on all all of the rest of it is circumstantial and it's intended to help bring us <laughs> to krishna um but but that's you know it's that that's gonna change, you know. Those 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 things are are just our circumstances. So, um, yeah, I, I think you know that ability to experience that joy um, is really a profound change I've seen. And then connected to that um, is a sense of compassion. You know, I I think that joy and compassion really are directly related. Um, And I think as one grows, the other grows as well. Um, But that I can, you know, from that vantage point, um, you know, beyond empathy, you know, I taught you like, you know, a sense of of really, um, you know, a spiritual sense of connection with, with all other living beings and a, and a sense that, that that other living beings also are more than their circumstances and, and more than their bodies, more than their minds, um, and to be able to see others in that way also, and, and to see others as um, also on a path, and so, you know, to be able to look, I guess, with with curiosity at their journey, like, even if it doesn't make sense to me as some aspect of their life, or, you know, doesn't make sense to me to just look and see, hmm, I wonder how that's functioning for them. I wonder how that's helping, you know, to facilitate um, their growth. Um, and just to, to be curious about that, rather than, you know, kind of, um, you know, judgmental about you know, um, you know, how, how somebody else's, you know, uh, life is manifesting at any, at any one point. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, it sense, a sense of joy and a sense of compassion and and just a sense that, that, um, life is good. <laughs> and I, it sounds like it's a simple thing and it's a, it's a, it's a kind of cliched phrase, I guess, but, um, from a spiritual standpoint, it's, it's not cliched at all, you know, to, to feel that, that, that life, that reality itself is good is, is really quite profound,
0: you know, um, not really, cry. yes, it is, it's, yeah. it's again, the foundational piece for the sadhaka, the more that we have that really, really in place, then we become fearless because with, unless we have that understanding, there's gonna be constantly fear of bad things happening. Like, you know, the sky is falling or, you know. um, But yeah, even if the sky is falling, literally, sadhaka sees oh okay it's, it's krishna's way of winding up this you know this um incarnation of my you know and that's fine because he's gonna take me to some other adventure somewhere else and it's gonna be wonderful so yeah i think ultimately yeah not even being afraid of our you know ultimate the body's ultimate destruction which is going to happen and embracing that's part of life. It's, it's part of the journey. And all of us need to, you know, really come to that. And along the way, and it sounds like you're really on the way to embracing that reality and that ultimate um, aspect of the human experience.
1: Yeah, on the way. I mean, I want to say also, I mean, I'm still human. And I think it's important to like, to talk about that too Mm -hmm. i mean when things happen that are scary or unsettling or traumatic or whatever i mean there's still that you know those fears still come you know Mm -hmm. it's just that you know i have a practice that allows me to see over them now and to 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 see beyond them and to put them in in context of a, a larger whole um and so again i mean you know those things can be happening simultaneously you know we can we can have those fears we can you know we can you know we're still in human bodies and human minds you know it's it's natural to have those fears but um you know to to have a context to put them in that that makes them um actually useful to us you know um you know is uh is very helpful
0: Certainly So just one last question that I would like to ask um, Now you did leave the ashram and now you're you're living um, in the world and you have you know a, a real job and you have a house to take care of and um, a lot of responsibilities that kind of might even look like an ordinary life, but it's far from ordinary and maybe, just talk a little bit about that transition and how that's fit into your progression as a sadhaka
1: yeah sure um yeah first of all um just want to say you know um the transition hasn't been easy and i think that that's something um you know we need to to talk about as devotees um just in general that. Um, you know, moving from an ashram life to, to a householder life. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a huge adjustment and that's, that's okay. That's, you know, um, again, we're, we're only human. Um, you know, that's, uh, well, we're, you know, we were in human bodies, um, but, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's been, it's been a big adjustment, um, certainly. Um, but, you know, I felt, um, really strongly when I was making the decision to leave the ashram um, which was in large part um, because my my body and my mind were were at a point where I you know I wasn't able to stay anymore. Um, but when I was making this decision, I felt really strongly that I I wanted to be sure I wasn't, choosing to leave because i was running from something i didn't want to be running from even the fear of of death you know even the fear of you know my body can't can't um exist in this environment and you know it might ultimately lead to you know serious illness or or death um i didn't want to be running from that fear um i wanted to be sure that i was making the decision um, out of a desire to move towards uh, a a deeper connection with Krishna, ultimately, in in order to build my spiritual life. And I felt really strongly that um, actually, at the at the end of the day, um, what I needed to learn was that um, bhakti wasn't isn't dependent on a place uh even a very spiritual place um you know like odarya and madhavan ashrams are i mean uh you know they are this in a sense a, the spiritual world in this world um and uh, very special places to live um but uh i I knew that that for my own spiritual journey, um, you know, I had said I had wanted to be a nun from the time I was little. Well, in a sense, although that's a spiritual goal, it's in a sense an anarta in that I I was thinking about that as as my spiritual life, um, and in a way. And so I knew that I also needed to get away from that perception, that I, I needed to cultivate that ashram in myself. And that, that living at the ashram in, in some way was kind of giving me a pass to say, well, I live in this environment, I do these practices, um, you know, kind of depend on that environment um, you know, for um, that sense of shelter. Uh, and and that's okay, too. I mean, that's, you know, um, that we was, you know, I grew a lot in that environment. I, and I did need that environment, um, to some extent for, you know, for that period, but I, I felt very strongly that, that I needed to grow um, beyond that in a way for for me now i think you know of course you could go back to an environment like that and experience it in a whole nother way so this isn't to say you know everyone living in that environment is having the same you know um you know difficulty or or whatever but um for myself i felt really called very strongly um to cultivate that ashram in in myself and to to be able to see that um that bhakti isn't dependent on my body it's not dependent on my mind it's not dependent on my um my circumstance it's not dependent on where i live um whether i'm a, a ashram devotee a monastic or a householder um that bhakti is independent of of all of that and that um what it's dependent on is my will um and you know that that i um that i have to make the choice uh to practice bhakti and um you know living as a householder actually um you know no one else is is you know, no one else is making a schedule of of deity worship, you know, no one else is, um, you know, going to tell me I need to chant my rounds or, you know, whatever it is, you know, I have to, that has to come from within me. And, um, you know, I see that as kind of the the big lesson of, of this, the current period of, of my life I'm in when I'm still learning it. And I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm still learning how to, um, to navigate that. But, um, you know, I, I think that that's what I'm intended to, to learn now and to, um, you know, hopefully come away from the experiences as a householder with. So I see, you know, yeah, my job, the, the house that I live in, you know, I mean, they're, they're necessities for maintaining my body. Um, and ultimately, they, they do belong to Krishna. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in some sense, I also see them as, um, as obstacles in a way that, um, you know, I have to, um, I, I have to, to practice, you know, even, even if I have to work, even if I have to clean my house or, you know, um, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever kind of maintenance things that need to be done um, that, um, you know, I still have to, to will myself to, to practice. And every time I do that, every time I express my will in relation to bhakti, um, I'm strengthened as a devotee, so I get to do that a lot as a householder. Um, and uh, that's good, you know. And at the end of the day, that's that's going to be really good for me.
0: So, so that's really, yeah, it's really beautiful. And um, you know, even in Joseph Campbell's kind of um, different stages, and the last stages kind of returning back to the, you know, back to your life that you left, but you are a changed person. And so you're living the life very differently than you would have lived it had you not had the, the all the, the ashram experience and, and you have a lot to offer. And most devotees are going to be in a household or ashram. And so giving each other the support is so, um, yeah, really, Especially with our sangha where we're all over the world and we don't really have like so-called, you know, we. I mean, we just have the Bulgarian retreats and the Finland retreat and that was wonderful, but we don't have like, you know, central meeting places for everybody and so yeah like these online kind of sanghas and encouraging one another it's, it's so important, so I, I thank you so Sure. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. You have to leave right now. Yeah, we're gonna, we are, we're just, yeah, no, we were just, we were just finishing this and then we we're gonna open up for questions. So yeah, thank you for keeping us. on track here. (laughs) So so just want to ask, yeah. So thank you so much. Um Anandamai, it was very inspiring for me to hear you put your story together and share it the way you did. And I'm sure all the devotees who have listened to this will are feeling the same way. Um, Well that's an assumption. I shouldn't make assumptions. (laughs) So does anybody have a question? Um, And oh, Sakirati wrote that this is interview number 14. Thank you for doing that for us. Um, So anybody have a question that you'd like to ask? Maybe not. So, and if not, then we'll get to leave on time and Akura won't be an anxiety. (laughs) Thank you. And for the devotees who are on Facebook, um, you wouldn't have heard what Akura just said, but he was just appreciating the depth of this interview and how he feels, he can feel the presence of Tabori Maharaj in his beautiful disciple. So anything else? Last minute, one more maybe, if anybody has anything. Take one question. It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So then we can, we can wrap up and um, let's see. Who is up next week? Oh, there it is. Okay.
1: um yeah that's a, that's a fascinating question
0: um so just why don't you repeat the question so that just sure,
1: so that, sure. Yeah. yeah okay um so she's asking um what ways in which um krishna manifests in um my writing practice um i'm a, a poet um as i mentioned earlier i, I started writing poetry um really young as a child and then I, I also studied poetry um in the university and, and now I, I teach poetry for for a living um, you know one of one of the the ways in which um Krishna has shown up in my writing I, I was thinking back to when I was uh, a child again and um I I, I I realized as as a child writing these kind of spiritual poems that um, that every word was um, uh, was was kind of a, a glorification of some aspect of of God. At at that point in my life, I wasn't uh, connected with with Krishna in this life, so I, I was thinking you know about God. Um, you know as just more general in that way but um, I and, and I started to see the world that way uh, so I, you know it through writing I kind of you know uh, realized this that, that ev- everything in a sense um, was uh, was kind of uh, worshiping <laughs> um, you know every every everything in, in the world is is kind of, um, pointing to some uh you know aspect of krishna that that's um worshipable and um i started to see language in that way but i also started to see the world in that way so i I kind of started to to look at everything as as um you know just in and of itself inherently um glorifying krishna Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, I guess a little bit hard to explain, but I, I think that that, that has um, had really profound impact on how I use language um, in poetry, po- poets use language not necessarily uh, in the same way that that we use language um, in our daily speech, um, we use language kind of in the way that that a potter uses clay, you know, um, you know to really form something um, new. we kind of really get our hands into it and you know um, make make something um, out of it. and so to kind of see inside language in that way, um, you know when i when I write, i'm I'm really um, trying to evoke something beyond just the just the literal meaning on the page um, and and using um, language as as a uh, an art medium in a way to do that. I don't know if that that makes sense but but also in a in a simpler way um you know um writing has also helped to lead me to realizations i think you know there's um a prayerful reading and prayerful writing where we you know um we read and we we meditate um you know it's a conversation with krishna um, and, and I like to write in the same way, so to, to kind of write and, um, you know, and, and, and meditate in conversation so that I don't necessarily know what's gonna come out of what I'm writing at the end. It's, it's, a, it's a journey in and of itself, you know, um, the writing that, uh, you know, um, you're kind of led to the realization that might come at the end of it through the process of writing. So the, the writing can be kind of a, a vehicle um, towards those kinds of realizations.
0: So, so thank you very much. Is there any place that you we could direct the devotees to go to see some of your poetry?
1: Um, yeah, you know, I have not—I've um, not published much, um, in part because it's a very sacred um, act for me. So it's been um, conflicting to me, to say the least, to uh, to uh, publish. Uh, but I have published some of my prose writing on um, Ruminate Magazine um and i i've published under anandamai um so you can find some of my writing there it's kind of poetic prose and a lot of it is actually about about bhakti as well so
0: so that would be ruminate magazine.com yeah
1: and it's it's uh um r u m i n a t e ruminate just like cow Okay. M. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Uh. I n. Uh huh. A t e. Yeah, yeah. And my writing is um on their online space. It's called the Waking, but uh, you'll find just their their online. Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Sure. Yeah, no problem.
0: Somebody put it in there. Oh, you did. I think. Oh. Oh, yeah, you got it. You got it. Okay. Awakening. Okay, perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Anakura. Again, thank you so thank much you. for your translation service. It's, it's invaluable to, especially all the Spanish-speaking devotees that are coming on. So thank you so much. And Anandamai, thank you again. And you. all the beautiful devotees who joined us. And so next week um, will be Amala Sham Das. He's a devotee from um, also from North Carolina recently in the last few years. He's been all over um so i look forward to you know we'll hear his interview next week and everybody have a great week and um we'll see everybody soon bye hi thank you thank you hi krishna Krishna.
1: both pronounce everyone